I am thrilled with today's guest, Chef Eric Repair. Uh, Eric is a, I don't, I'm going to say a celebrity chef. You probably don't like those words, but I just, I just have to say it. Uh, he's an iconic guy. He's an author of eight books. Uh, you've seen him on numerous TV shows. He's got a new book out, Seafood Simple, a cookbook. Uh, he is, of course, uh, the mastermind of Le Bernardin, which uh, is one of the top restaurants in the world. Three Michelin stars, four New York Times stars. Uh, it you bring up best restaurants in the world, and it's always in the conversation. And it's my it's my pleasure to have you as a guest today. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure, actually. Now I've always in studying in doing a little homework on you and your upbringing and whatnot. It seems that you've had a transformation. You grew up uh, early on in France and went through a lot of the pain that we see on television that chefs put other chefs through and what. And that you have kind of come around and realized maybe maybe that doesn't have to be pain and suffering. I never understood the pain and suffering that needs to happen in a kitchen. And how did that all get started? And tell me about your transformation. Well, when I grew up in France, and at a young age, I was in a kitchen in the 1980s. At that time, uh, the kitchens were very, very regi regimented, but also it was a lot of verbal abuse. A lot of abuse in general. Um, we were also uh, being beat up, uh, kicked in the butt, punched in the shoulders. Physic physically abused. Physically abused and also uh, all day long insulted. And uh, that was the way kitchens were uh, running in, in, in France at that time, most of the kitchen. And the chef was this kind of dictator that was all, always right, and everybody was scared of the chef, and and it was like that. And uh, when I came to the U.S., when I had my first job as a chef, I started to emulate my mentors because I didn't know better, and and therefore I was screaming at the cooks. I was having tantrums, breaking plates on the floor, throwing food in the garbage when it was not right, and. Um, we were losing a lot of employees. They were not happy with me, and I was miserable in my life as well. I was very young. I had I had no idea why I, I was so miserable. But one night I was home, and I had this moment of epiphany, in a sense. And I said, you know, duh, I got it. I know what's going on. I have to change. I can't. I can't be angry like that. I cannot be terrorizing the team because it's it's not good for them and it's not good for me. I have to change completely the way we are working because a cook that's shaking cannot do a better jo job than a cook that is inspired. And I went back to Le Bernardin the day after and I said, guys, I have been wrong. I apologize. We have to change the way we manage. And then it took me a long time to retrain the people that were responsible in a kitchen that had been listening to me. So from from the, I would say the early 90s until today, I have been making sure that Le Bernardin is a restaurant where people are not afraid to work, are inspired to work, uh, where young people can blossom, talented people can blossom. And uh, we have a great relationship in between all the departments, which is including the offices and the, and the dining room, of course, and the kitchen. Yeah, Chef, what never made sense to me, and you have these TV shows with these very angry, you know, host chefs. Uh, and, and I ran a business, 
And I don't know any businesses that flourish with abuse and fear and anger. It, you use the word inspiration. You need to inspire. So I never wonder how I wonder how that got started in the food industry, in 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 the in the fine dining industry, where it became this kind of this boot camp brutalizing of young people and and you know rite of passage. I, I never understood why that was a winning formula. It is not a winning formula, and those TV shows that glorify violence in a kitchen or in restaurants are uh, uh, not right. The producers of those TV shows and, and the chefs being in those shows and being abusive should be ashamed of themselves because my generation has been fighting against violence in the kitchen or violence in restaurants. Uh, I think that culture comes from ignorance. Because uh, today our world is very glamorous, but when you look at 20, 30, 50 years ago, nobody wanted to go in kitchens. Nobody was thinking about restaurants. It was not glamorous to be in my industry. And a lot of people that were not good in school uh, were sent to culinary schools, at least in France, or were sent to restaurants because the parents were thinking, well, at least he's going to have food. Uh, it, it will be shed. <laughs> and and uh, it, ignorance is something that was, yeah, ramping in our kitchen. Uh, pe people didn't realize that nobody's happy to be angry. You cannot mix both feelings. You're either way angry or you're happy. And you have to treat other people the way you want to be treated. And uh, it was not understood at the time. Today, I can guarantee you that the majority of the kitchen that at least in America, because I don't go too much to Europe, but at least in this country, the majority of the kitchen are very civilized and the restaurants are civilized. Yeah. You had a, a tough upbringing that was a little bit of a precursor to what you would face in the kitchen. You lost your dad when you were 11 and your stepdad, who you call Hugo, was an abusive character. You grew up with it at home. Yes. Hugo was someone that I really dislike. I was a young kid because my father passed away when I was young. My mother was divorced when I was five, and she started to live with that man uh, when I was six or seven years old. And uh, it was a war at home, and he was he was someone who was not a good person. And uh, I had to deal with um, abuse, a lot of verbal abuse, and physical abuse at times because he was violent and uh, sneaky, but he will he will uh, hurt me. Uh, and and at a young age, I started to uh, find a way to defend myself in my house. And uh, my mother was not aware because I wouldn't repeat it, and it was not necessarily uh, a good place to be. That's for sure. Yeah. How did it inform you as far as now as an adult, when you think back and you're a dad now, uh, how did that kind of hazing uh, shape you as a person? So I forgave uh, my stepfather for being who he was a long time ago. Uh, same thing. It's based on ignorance. It's based on jealousy. Maybe he was jealous that I was close to my mother. I, I'm not sure what, what was going on in his head. So he's an older man now. He's probably close to his 90s. Of course, I forgive him. And, uh, and I move on in my life. And I made sure that I'm very respectful 
at work. I'm very respectful at home. Uh, I'm very respectful actually 24-7. And, and that's it's the inspiration that I got from those very, very intense ex experiences. Let's talk about your craft and your new book is a simple, uh, seafood simple, a cookbook and you, your love of fish, you know, you begrudgingly serve meat and pasta, uh, in your restaurant, but to you, it, it's all about fish. Talk, talk to me about, I, it's, I've never asked this person a question. Where did your love of fish come from? <laughs> um, well, I really love fish. I love to eat fish and prepare it as well. And, uh, I guess it's destiny because I worked in 1982 in La Tour d'Argent, which was a very famous traditional restaurant in France, was iconic, was 400 years old in 1982. And uh, the restaurant was specialized in ducks, but I was sent to the fish station. So I started to work there. Then I worked with Chef Joël Robuchon and I ended up in a fish station again. When I came to America in 1989, I worked with Jean-Louis Paladin, who was an amazing chef working at the Watergate Hotel, famous for something else. Mm -hmm. Something else. Uh, Jean-Louis Paladin was very well known for being the king of cooking game and meat, but I was again in the fish station. I worked with David Boulet in the 90s in New York, fish station. And then finally, 91, I walk uh, into Le Bernardin and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a seafood restaurant. It looks <laughs> like, like a gigantic uh, fish station again. I'm very comfortable here. And over the years, I learned how to love to prepare uh, seafood. Seafood is very delicate in texture. It's very delicate in, in flavor as well. And uh, you have to be a technician, but at the same time, you have to... Uh, you have to be very cautious with the way you handle it as well because it can break or you can over overwhelm the delicacy of the flavors. And when you learn those, those techniques and when you learn uh, the craftsmanship, you fall in love with it. And, uh, and also, I mean, I eat fish a lot. I eat fish lunch and dinner, at least Monday to Friday, sometimes on the weekend as well. And uh, I, I really enjoy it. So it's, it's for me, it's, it's just pure, pure bliss, I would say. I love it. So we're, we're doing this, we're talking around three in the afternoon. Talk to me about what's going on at your restaurant right now. You know, we're, if I walked in tonight at 7.30 or 8 o'clock for a dinner, I'm not understanding the machinations of what it took starting early in the morning through the day and night. So take me through a day in your restaurant sure so we uh, open the doors at 6 a.m and we have a part of the team that arrive in between 6 and 8 a.m and then it's lunchtime at one point and uh, lunchtime start at noon right now it's like you said it's three o'clock we are still serving uh, food in a restaurant and and desserts at this time we are, the clients are still here the morning team is going to leave very soon, or they're starting to leave already. And the, 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 the shift that works at night is already in the kitchen or starting to arrive. And we will open our doors again at 5 p.m. because we are in a theater district. Mm -hmm. 
So we will start to uh, serve meals at that time. And then it's going to be all night until 10, 10.30 during the week. Then we do not take more reservations. And it's 11.30 on a weekend. So we, we finish late at night. Then we have uh, the, the night shift that comes to clean the kitchen. And we have a couple of uh, gentlemen who come and, sp and spend the night cleaning the, the facilities. Uh, the dining room and the kitchen are cleaning their own stations, but to go deeper, we have someone all night. And the fit, talk to me about the kind of the, the voyage of the fish that ends up on my plate there. Where, take, take me through where, where you get it, how, how it's, because obviously you guys are getting the best of the best of the best. So take me through that process. So first of all, we get the best of the best of the best, like you mentioned, and it's a way to do that. You have to have the right connections. You have to have respect to, the, to those purveyors and fishermen and fishmonger. And one of the best way to respect them is to pay uh, in within a week. Yeah, <laughs> simple, simple, simple formula. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, but we buy from the fish market in New York, which is located in Bronx. We buy in Portland, Maine. We have a couple of connections along the East Coast with small fishermen. And we have a little bit of um, relationship with Japan to get uh, some species like uh, Amachi, Kampachi, that are fish coming from there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes tuna as well, sea urchin uh, from Hokkaido. But most of our seafood comes from the uh, East Coast, no, the northern part of the, of the US and Canada. And uh, we order the fish in Maine before six o'clock at night. And tomorrow before six o'clock in the morning, we will have the fish in house. So your order, so the fish that, that you're going to get tomorrow morning right now is currently in Maine. The fish we will get tomorrow is right now in Maine. It has been uh, processed. The boat probably arrived this morning around 10, between 10 and, and noon. Um, the fish is being right now, like I said, um, processed. And then we have someone who's going to say, I need for Le Bernardin, let's say, 100 pounds of codfish. And this is the size and this is the quality. And someone's going to go and pick uh, what we need and, uh, and make the deal for us. And then it's going to be in a truck. At the fish market in New York, we place the order before 11 o'clock at night. By three o'clock in the morning, our fish is already selected out of the market, hidden in a truck somewhere for us. All right. That's amazing. Let's talk about the book. The book is is a really you you book for utility, but it's also a beautiful tabletop book. The pictures are incredible. It's kind of got both both those things, something that news you can use and also beauty. Thank you. Yes, the pictures are beautiful. Uh, Nigel Perry is the photographer is very well known for actually sure. doing por portraits of mm -hmm. uh, famous people. Uh, he did many covers for Newsweek and for Esquire and at one point for New York Times Sunday Magazine and, and so on. And then I started to work with him on a book called Vegetable Simple. And it was the first time he was taking pictures of food and it was very successful. And we decided to do Seafood Simple. And we work together and he basically take portraits of the fish. Or the That's amazing. Por portraits of the fish. That's a great set of words. That's it's amazing. what he says. It's, it's the way he sees it. 
So the pictures are beautiful. And then we demystify how to cook fish and we guide the reader by um, creating chapters with techniques that are really demystify uh, step by step, step by step. And uh, we make sure that it's almost idiot proof. We teach you how to select fresh fish with all the tricks and, and you will know when your fish is fresh. Give me a trick. Give me give me a simple trick that I wouldn't know about picking out fish that I'll get from the book. Well, if you go to the supermarket and you don't buy whole uh, fish, the fillet of fish should be also almost translucid if it's not salmon or tuna. Uh, because if it's very white, opaque, uh, the color is not very vi- vibrant, it means that fish is old. It has been washed by the eyes. It has no flavor at best. It's probably actually old and fishy. Uh if you buy tuna, it shouldn't be dark chocolate color or neither kind of a weird red color. It should be kind of a orangey mm-hmm. red. Uh, salmon, same thing. The, the colors should be vibrant. And uh, you can also put your nose on top and do not be shy and say, hey, I want to smell it. Mm-hmm. Fish never smell like fish. It's never fishy. It's like smelling the ocean breathe almost when it's fresh. Yeah, it shouldn't. So no fish should ever smell fishy if it's a good piece of fish. Never, never, never. Hey, let's shift gears and, and talk about a very important person in your life that uh, that you lost, uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, brilliant man. Uh, I, you, unfort- you also uh, found him. And talk to me about Anthony, your relationship with him and, and some of the things that we should know that maybe we don't. Well, in 2000, Kitchen Confidential came out. And I don't know if you read it at that time or, or if you remember, but the entire food industry was either way mesmerized or scandalized or both <laughs> by, by his book. And someone said to me, you know, you, Le Bernardin, and you are mentioned in, in the book many times. And I, I said, oh, my God, I have to read it. So I bought the book and... He was very complimentary of what we were doing at Le Bernardin during the entire process. And uh, I was very amused by uh, the world of Anthony, uh, by the kitchens where he was working. For him, kitchens were basically a place where pirates, modern pirates, were working. And I was coming from those (laughs) ultra-disciplined kitchens. Uh, So we were coming from very different worlds. But I invited him for lunch, and we had this very funny lunch and interaction, and the friendship started there. And uh, we became very close. I did some television with him. We did a tour called Good and Evil that was sold out in 35 American cities. Uh, It was pure comedy. Uh, we, We were going to all over the country. And then we spent vacations together. We spent weekends together. We we had a, a very very uh, nice friendship. Very, Anthony was a very great inspiration for me. He was a very kind man, very smart as well. Did you see any of the potential darkness that he was fighting and struggling with? Anything? Now you look back and you go, "Wow, I." Not that obviously anybody could prevent it, but that you saw early kind of precursors of, of what have ended up happening. As you can imagine, if I would have seen that, he would be here. 
Yeah, it's so it's it's so hard to understand people uh, mental illness, and when you see somebody like that, you go, oh "My God, he's got everything." And it's just it's something, and it's it's in my family. I've been around it, so it's uh it's hard to understand if you haven't been around it or dealt with it or. But it was obviously a tragic loss for you and for the world. It really, really was. Yeah, it was actually very tragic. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so the, I'm going to just thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to me. I'm going to come in the restaurant in the next few weeks. Sure. I'm going to I'm going to ask for you, and maybe we can, we can meet in person. The book is Seafood Simple, a cookbook. Uh, if you're eating fish, if you're interested in fish, if you're buying fish, if you're cooking, if you're a- anything to do with it, this is a must must purchase book. Eric Pierre, thank you so much for being with me, my friend. I appreciate it. My great pleasure. Thank you so much.